Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's reading is Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb... They told, all, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. This is the word of God. Amen. Good morning and happy Easter. If you are visiting with us for the first time or uh, both online or in person, let me just extend a special welcome to you as well. No matter uh, what you believe, uh, this will always be a place, Lincoln Square will always be a place for the skeptic and the believer, for a church for the convinced and the unconvinced. So welcome. If you're new, if you're watching this online right now, you can, if you want to get more connected, which I know how hard it is when you feel so disconnected, uh, you can complete the connect card that's linked in the video description. Before we start with today's sermon, I want to just highlight, I want to pause first and just remind you that we're actually halfway through our 90 for 9 initiative. Every Sunday we've been praying for our nine, and if you want to know what that means, um, if, you, if you're unfamiliar with that, many of you signed up uh, over a month ago to pray for nine people for 90 days. And if you calculate how many people are actually then doing this right now, that means every week we have thousands of, of, of people being prayed for daily by this church. I think that's important for us to just sort of let that hit us. Thousands of people that we care enough to stop our daily lives and lift them up in prayer. And we've asked some of you to send in uh, what's been going on. And so I want to read, just to encourage you, I want to read five quick stories of what God's been doing. One person said this, one of my nine is a friend's son. Well, my friend was able to talk to his son about Jesus over dinner recently. God is at work. Another person said, hey, I just got off the phone with one of my nine, had the best conversation in months. 
Third person said, hey, I saw a couple of my neighbors whom I had been praying for on my way home, and I just kind of said hi and walked on. But when I got inside, I wondered why I hadn't stopped and talked to them. But here's the thing. If I hadn't been praying for them, I wouldn't have even thought twice about it. Fourth person said this. It's amazing just how many times I get an idea of how to reach out and care for one of my nine when I'm praying for them. And the last story that was sent in was, uh, that we wanted to highlight is this. Um, this person said this. Last night, one of my nine was over for, my, for dinner with three other people that I'm praying for of my nine. When we sat down, she said, let's say grace. And we joined hands. This is actually shocking because she's hostile to Christianity, a former Catholic. She, she calls herself an atheist, but la- in the last few years, she might be agnostic. And she prayed, bless us, O Lord, and, and these your gifts, which you are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. She said this and, didn't, and she didn't know what came over her. But I think we do because Aslan is on the move. Um, there, there's so many other stories out there, but I just wanted to read some of these to you to encourage you that these are real-life testimonies to give you a tangible reminder that in big ways and small ways, God is using our prayers that he's at work throughout the church. And so I want to encourage you to continue to pray, to share those experiences with, with us through the website or through the, daily, the, the weekly reminders. And um, you, it, you can always sign up for those if you haven't signed up yet. It's never too late to sign up uh, to start praying if you haven't been participating so far. And I want to challenge you to do so, to see what God might do through your prayers because he uses them all. Now, usually each Sunday we, we stop and we pause for you to pray for, for 90 seconds. But today is Easter, and so I'd like to just quickly lead us in a prayer together as a community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you are at work. We know that you are on the move. The resurrection is proof positive that you are in the business of redeeming and fixing creation. Thank you for using these small, everyday glimpses in the lives of our congregation. Thank you for working through our prayers. And we pray that you will continue to reveal yourself to those that we are praying for. Therefore, we pray for our friends and our family, those that, are, that we are daily praying for, for those who don't yet know you and know that there's hope found in you. Make yourself known to us so that we can make ourselves known to you. And Father, there's a large group of us that we're not sure what we believe. We're not sure if we believe in you. And so we pray that we might understand you better this Easter. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Okay. Um, let's begin. We had our text read for us just, by, just recently by Shannon. And I kind of want to start the same way I started last Easter. That last Easter, I, I, I said this, and I'm going to say it again. No plague, no pestilence, no pandemic can stop Easter. That's kind of the point of Easter, that as, as a church, we value questions and those who ask them. We're trying to build a church where you're known, loved, and cared for. But that means after the year that we just had, we need to be able to rebuild this city together. And, I, and we need to do it together. We're going to rebuild this church and rebuild this city. We have that hope because we've seen it started in the resurrection. That I was thinking about this just this week. If Christmas is when we celebrate the beginning of our faith, what Easter is, is this is the fulcrum of the Christian faith. This is where we are celebrating the fullness 
of our faith. Now, unfortunately for both the skeptic and the believer, resurrection is not real in our lives. That, and that's important because if, if the resurrection is real, if it's really, really real, then it changes everything. But if the resurrection is not real, then none of this matters. And the reason why the resurrection is not real, some of us it's because we, we have serious questions about the historical narrative of the resurrection. But some of us, the reason why it's not real is that it's not actively impacting our everyday lives. And so no matter where we are on that spectrum, I think it would behoove us to use this time, this moment, try to, I know we, are, we're just, we can have distractions, our minds can, can, you know, oscillate and vacillate and go all over the places, but if we could just focus and say, what is keeping us from fully living in light of the resurrection? How can, that we, how can we actually do the work to bring us closer? Where the old will be made new, where the broken will be fixed, where the mentally weary will be refreshed, where the diseased will be healed. None of that happens unless this is real. And so therefore, this is of the utmost importance to us this morning to review and examine the resurrection story from the eyewitness accounts that was just read. That was Luke chapter 24, 1 through 12, that I think can help us figure it out. Uh, And so our text does this. And this is what the text shows us. It shows us four people groups, four lessons from those people groups, and then four things to do from those lessons. So this morning, I want to briefly look at the four people groups, four lessons to learn, and then four things to do. No, it's not a 16-point sermon, but I know it sounded like that. It's much quicker, trust me. Um, let's start with four people groups. The first group that we see here, if you look in your, in your, on your, I guess on your phone, verse 1 is the witnessing women. They're walking to the tomb. These witnessing women are walking to the tomb. They go to the tomb. They see the angels in verse 4. And then by verse 9, they leave the tomb and they go what? What do they do? They go witness to the disciples. They're the witnessing women, number one. Number two, the second people group or what I'm going to call the gleaming preachers. Look closely at the text. Verse 4, it says there's two men in clothes that gleamed. Now, of course, what do they do there? They don't just sit and say, look at my clothes, they sparkle. Isn't that cool? No, they preached. Specifically, they spoke truth from the Scriptures. They actually quote Jesus' own words back to the women. They said, remember... And they quote, and I looked this up, it's, it's Luke chapter 9, verses 22 through 44, that the angels are actually quoting Jesus, saying what? what are they, they, they give a Bible study. They say, hey, hey, why are you looking here? The Son of Man must be delivered. The Scriptures say that he must be delivered. Right? That's what a preacher is supposed to do. We're supposed to take the text and say, hey, here's what it's saying. That it's not enough that he was just raised from the dead. That it's what he accomplished by dying in the first place. So, the gleaming preachers. Third person that we see here, the living Savior. Look at verse 5. You say, where's is, where is the living Savior? Well, the, the uh, um, gleaming preachers, they say, hey, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? And that's, that's actually pointing out that Jesus is a living Savior. This is different from the authors of other religions. Right? When, you, when you read the writings of other religious leaders, 
those leaders are dead. And that's so the primary way to interact with them is through their writings. But this is saying Jesus isn't just a wonderful leader who, uh, and teacher who's dead too. This is saying he's living, that he's alive, that he's the living Savior. Lastly, the last group is the doubting disciples. They hear the women, and Luke says in verse 4, they did not believe the women. They doubted them. Only Peter, in spite of his doubts, runs to the tomb to look for the evidence. So, there's our four people groups. I'll say them again. Witnessing women, gleaming preachers, the living Lord, and the doubting disciples. So, second thing we're going to see here. What are the lessons we can learn from these four people groups? Number one, the witnessing women. What we learn from them is that the resurrection happened. You say, where do you see that in text? Again, verse 10 lists the names, the individual names of the eyewitnesses. And this is important because when the book of Luke was written as a letter, right, when it was, when it was stated out as a gospel, it was during these women's lives. You could have read the, the book of Luke and then you could have gone and actually found these women to ask them, is, did this actually happen? They were eyewitness accounts. That's why their names were listed. It was sort of the receipts to say this actually happened, to confirm their eyewitness statements. Now, of course, this was during a time when the accounts of women had no legal standing in a court of law. And that means this. If you wanted to make up the resurrection, if you wanted to say, hey, let's, I have an idea. Let's take this guy, Jesus, and let's actually make up this whole resurrection account. It, if you'd made the first eyewitnesses women, it would have instantly created a conspiracy because there would have been no way to actually verify if that was true, legally. And so I think the, the disciples, when they dismissed the women, it was on these grounds. The Greek word for did not believe here in verse 9 and 10 uh, and 11 um, is the word idle tale. That they thought these women were speaking idle tales, that this was all nonsense. But this is actually why this is proof for us today. Because if you wanted to make up the resurrection account, the absolute last people you would have used to be your first eyewitnesses would have been women. And, and a lot of scholars have pointed this out now, that that means the only reason why, by the way, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all report that, th- that it was women who saw Jesus first. These original writers would have been under extreme pressure not to put them in the narrative because making them the first eyewitnesses could only lessen their claim. But today, because they did, the claim is stronger than ever before because it's a powerful testimony that it actually happened. And then therefore, it's a witness. And I think you might, some of you might have heard that before, but I want to go one step further today because... I was reflecting on this this past week. Culture today, just the past year or two, has it not, the culture has been saying, we need to listen to women. Right? The Me Too movement, the abuse cases, women bringing up eyewitness accounts of harassment. When they give eyewitness testimony as a culture, what we're saying now is that our default position is supposed to be to believe them. But these women back then were eyewitnesses when people didn't listen to them either. And so if we believe today that we're supposed to listen to women today, why are we not listening to the women back then? I think this is really important that if if we believe in listening to women today, shouldn't you be listening to the women back then? If culturally it's important to listen to women today, 
isn't it just as important to listen to the women of old, historically speaking? Don't you dare, please don't you dare say, I know what the intuition, it's like, well, maybe they were mistaken, maybe they were, this was just all nonsense. That's what these men did back then. And we're realizing as a culture that's actually wrong to do. And so we can't be people who believe women unless we will believe these women too. And so the question to our, ask ourselves before we move on is, will we listen to them? They were eyewitnesses. And if we say, well, you know, maybe you're wrong, we're doing the very same thing that we've done to women over the years. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Number two, that's our first lesson. Number two, the second lesson to get here is from the gleaming preachers. And I think this is important. It's not enough just that Jesus was raised from the dead. He didn't, this wasn't just sort of a magic trick and ta-da, here I am. We have to ask, what does his death mean in the first place? The fact that the gleaming preachers say in verse 7 that he must be crucified. He must be delivered to be crucified. Now what is all that about? This is what it's about. In our natural state, as we are right now, it's not okay. Right? When you say he must be crucified, that, that there's an imperative there that this had to happen. And so what I want us to do first, just a second, let's zoom out for just one second. Look at the chaos worldwide. Look at the dehumanization. Look at the hurt, the anger, the rage that we are feeling culturally speaking. Look at the, the racially motivated violence that's happening towards Asian Americans. Look at the racism that has been buried in not just our culture, every single culture throughout all of history. Look at sexism as we, that we just talked about. Culturally, I think it's very easy. I don't, I'm not going to put too much time on this. We can all agree we have a problem. Things are not as they should be. But let's, let's actually zoom in. Zoom into your own inner life. Let's, let's shed a little bit of light there. If we do the self-analysis on an individual level, just take your, look at your own life. Where have we prized things too much? Where have we not prized things enough? Where, this, is, this was always impacting me, if we put an audio recorder around your neck that somehow was able to pick up your thoughts, and we played that audio recorder at the end of your life, how do you think you would, have, you would fare in a, in a court of judgment? How do you think that, just yourself, would your, would your own thoughts condemn what you, and betray how you normally present yourself? I think we, if we're really honest about ourselves, we would not pass the test. That our own thoughts would betray us. And so I know we, so often we try to escape looking in the mirror. We, we ignore it. We entertain ourselves. We, we, you know, put up the facades. But the evidence is against us overwhelmingly. Culturally speaking, what's wrong with it? We all know culture is wrong. But do we, do, are we willing to realize that the part of the problem is ourselves? 
Now, the Old Testament said the way that you can commune with God was through some sort of payment for sin. That's what the whole sacrificial system was about. That the sacrifice pointed to a need for a payment. But what the gleaming preachers are saying here is that payment has been made. That Jesus didn't just die the death that you and I should have died, if we're honest, if there's payment. But he lived the life that we should have lived as well. And the resurrection is proof positive that he accomplished that goal. And so you don't, again, I've been trying to reflect on this. If you don't need the resurrection, if everything is okay in the world, if there's nothing wrong in the world. But I think, I think we all know that it's not the way it's supposed to be. That there's no amount of more education, there's no amount of more government, there's no amount of less government, there's no, there's no amount of those things that will fix the world and fix us. And therefore, if that's not, if, if on our own it's not enough, that means we need something outside of ourselves. We, that, that literally means a savior. We need a savior. And the gleaming preachers are telling us just that. It's the second lesson we find here. Third lesson. It's from the living Lord. If he is indeed alive. And I don't mean metaphysically. I don't mean in some sort of non-tangential way. I mean actually and practically. If Buddha and Confucius... We're alive and now they, they're dead. And the main way you interact with their, them is through their teachings. The gleaming preachers are saying, no, Jesus is alive. That means the main way you, in, you interact with him is, is as, as a person. Through connection, through an encounter, that he's on the move, that he's present, he's active, he's, he's around. And so the third lesson that I think that we can be given here is... The realization that we are dealing with a live, active individual. That if Jesus is dead, he literally can't do anything. But if he's the living Lord, then he actually can live in your life. That he actually can be a presence in your life. That you actually can commune with him and talk with him and learn and grow in relationship with him. That's why other religious leaders can say, hey, they can point and say, that's the way over there. But only Jesus can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That he brings relationship. And so, third lesson, simply, is will you have an encounter with him? Will you let yourself have an encounter? Again, I can say this to the whole range of belief. Whether you're not a Christian here today or you really are, at least intellectually speaking, are you willing to have an encounter with him? Because if he's alive, then, then he can be active in your life. Last lesson, the doubting disciples. Right? If, if you're trying to have an encounter and you're struggling, the doubting disciples, the lesson to learn here is don't give up. If you doubt, don't let that stop you. Finding faith in Jesus is not a one-stop shop. It's not a like instantaneous snap of the fingers. In fact, seeing them doubt, to me, is so encouraging. Because as wrong as the disciples were, they, these are the people who were closest to him and they denied him. They weren't looking for him. Did you notice that? It's the women who were, who were even trying to get near him as a dead individual. They weren't even doing that. And yet, they eventually got it. And because they listened, they, sorry, because they didn't listen to these women here, that's actually good news for us. Because if they didn't immediately figure it out, then guess what? You and I don't have to, have to we don't have to immediately figure it out either. 
That's supposed to like give you, hopefully there's like a deep sigh that you can go, okay. When you're saying, I don't feel like I fully understand this, good, guess what? They didn't either. Be like Peter, who doubted, but even though he doubted, guess what he did? He ran to that tomb. And he pushed himself. And he didn't just wave a hand at the claims. He went in and investigated for himself. This is what verse 12 says, is that he went to the tomb and he saw the evidence. And the key word is he wondered. He sees the strips of linen in the tomb. Now, in the book of John, we're told that the, 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 the strips of linen were actually folded. And so you can actually think through the progression that, that Peter might have had. He walks into the tomb, sees the folded linen, and he starts asking questions. Well, hmm, if Jesus never died, he was just revived, then when he, if he's wrapped in these linens, then if he woke up, these linens would have, would have torn. But they're not torn. But if somebody stole his body, that's why it's not here, they never would have unwrapped him first. Culturally speaking, that was, you wouldn't have done that. But also just the smell, also all the other problems, you would never have unwrapped him. So why is this folded linen here? You can see that progression. And the question is, is will you do the same? See the evidence. That being a Christian is not a blind leap of faith. And I think Peter is showing you that. Being a Christian is some combination of reason and belief. Belief is trust. All of life is a combination of using your rationality and mind, combining it with a level of trust and belief. And, and this is no different. Don't give up. It'll take time. It'll take effort. But their doubts are an encouragement to us to do our own thinking, to do our own rat reasoning. Again, what, no matter where you are in that spectrum of belief, that's what it's saying here. Will you look, uh, what would it look like to let this belief affect our life if you're already a believer? If you're not a believer, if you don't believe, why not? What's holding you back? Cognitize it. Put it down. Write it down. Think about it so then we can actually work through them. All right. Those are the four lessons. Now, last thing. What do we do from these lessons? What do we do from these lessons? Well, um, let's go through them again. Whether, a whether you're a Christian or not, I think you can actually apply them the same way. First, for the witnessing women that are telling us to believe, that are witnessing to us, what they show us is that if this gets in your life, you end up telling other people. Right? Verse 4, they hear. Verse 9, they're telling the disciples. But it's showing us what to do from this is that if he is true, if this is real, you, you couldn't stop yourself from telling other people. And if you think that's strange, I, what we say around here at Redeemer Lincoln Square is you always talk about what you love. If you love sports, you talk about sports. If you love food, you talk about food. If you love fashion, you talk about fashion. So it's completely natural, if this is the love of your life, that you end up talking about it. I always find it interesting when people in culture say, well, why are you talking about this? Well, we, I, I can't not. It means that much to me. It's, it's in my life. It's out there. And so the witnessing women show us to share that love. First point. Second point that I think that of what to do. The gleaming preachers want us to remember that the point of the resurrection just wasn't to come back from the dead. If Jesus came back and then died again, what's the point? It's what only he could accomplish. The resurrection matters if his death is payment for the sins of this world. And if we let that grip us, if we, let, if we meditate on that and just kind of sit in there for a little bit and say, wait a second, he couldn't, we couldn't, but he could, 
We didn't, but he did. Right? You can't, but he can. When you get that and you believe that and you sit in that, and then that, that moves you to realize, wait, it's not I obey and then I'm accepted. I'm already accepted now. Now I want to obey. The resurrection comes to life. It's a complete reorientation. Religion said, everybody says, do this, do this, do this, and then you get in. Christianity is the utter opposite. He already died for you. It's already done. Payment in full. And if you let that hit you, it changes your life. That's what to do. The resurrection comes to life to the degree that we allow us to see what the death before the resurrection accomplishes for us. Thirdly, seek an encounter. Notice the women when they're in verse 4, the key word is they're filled with wonder. And then Peter, verse 12, he's filled with wonder. Whenever you come into contact, you're filled with wonder. And, I, and I, as I was reading this this week, I was going, well, am, am, I, am I filled with wonder? Is that how I live my life, in wonder and in awe? I, I don't know if I do. I, I'll have moments but, again, and I think it's hard when you have a hard year. We had, we've, I, the, this past year was one of the hardest years in my memory. And an encounter with the living Lord, yes, it transforms the grief. Yes, it doesn't get rid of it. It doesn't, it doesn't wipe it away. But it, it reshapes our ability to interact in this space. My problem is, is part of my brain is saying, I believe in the resurrection. But then the other part of my brain is live every day as if it's not real. Right? Easter means that you can't live every day like every other day anymore. Last week, there was a, a pretty bad floods in middle America. And I had a friend that lives in the Nashville area. And he was talking about a guy that he knew that had his house completely flooded. Uh, and it was like the kind of devastating damp flood that just ruins everything. So he, lo- he loses every possession he had. And his, his dog died in the flood, and his wife broke her wrist. And uh, the medical, they, they didn't have insurance, and the medical payment, the, the bills were adding up. And this guy decided, you know what, I'm going to just post my misery online. So he posted it. And some, um, some Instagram person with 500,000 followers saw this story and the Go, his GoFundMe page and posted it. And what ended up happening was because she shared this link, not only was he able to cover all er, the cost of everything he lost, but he got enough money to cover the medical debt that he had as well. And so what I, I, I love that story because the bad is bad. The bad doesn't go away. It's still bad. But because he had an advocate who saw his story, he got healing. What the resurrection is telling all of us is that we have an infinitely better advocate in the person of Jesus who saw our story too, who entered into our lives and restores and fixes. And when he does that, folks, that eternally gives us hope. And hope brings joy. You know what joy does? Joy brings contentment if you sit in it long enough. And contentment brings peace. You know what peace does? Peace allows us to handle anything and everything that life throws our way. Don't give up. Don't settle for just an intellectual understanding. I think, so I think this is the bane of a lot of Christians' existence is that we have an intellectual understanding but not a life understanding. 
Because a living Lord means a relationship and a connection. It's an encounter. What to do? Have an encounter. It's never too late to start. The resurrection won't take away the doom that's been laid on us the past year. It won't stop the pain. It won't stop the uncertainty. I'm not promising you those things. The scriptures aren't promising you those things. But what it, what it is promising is that there will be hope that can dwell in your life. And if you let it, that hope can well up and well out of you in a joy and a mirth that can overcome the grief and swallow it up. Where you can dance for joy even in the midst of sorrow. That's why, folks, I love Jesus' first miracle. Water into wine. No offense, um, the Redeemer Lincoln Square staff this past week, we were looking at, if you could, we were asking each other questions, like if you could have any superpower, what would it be? You know, and, you know, some people are like changing to different creatures and invisibility and stuff like that. And you would think Jesus, his first thing would be like Superman and show up and I'm going to show you lasers from my eyeballs. No, he turns water into wine. Why? Because he's saying I'm bringing a party. That this is the foretaste of what the resurrection is going to be. And you too can have that taste of joy and mirth in your life and in death if you meet him. Have that encounter. Last point. Keep at it until you get it. The doubting disciples, what to do from that lesson is to keep at it until you get it. Peter and the doubting disciples didn't give up and nor should you. Notice if, if you don't give up the experience of, living, of the living Lord in your life changes your life, draws you out. You no longer just log it into a corner of your life. You couldn't help it if, even if you tried. And if you did, here's what's so cool about all these lessons we just said. If you let that hit you, you'll become like these witnessing women and tell other people. In other words, if you preserve, you will witness. And if you witness, then you'll, you'll believe and understand the depths of what Jesus has accomplished. And if you do that, then you'll seek an encounter with him. In other words, all these lessons are interactive and interplaced and actually are steps a part of a life lived towards him. I hope to do a funeral service one day like Dr. Jonathan Evans. I, I've quoted him before, but when he did his funeral for his mother, he talked about how as she was dying, he prayed for her. And the truth is, whenever you pray for somebody who is near death, who is a Christian who knows the resurrection, there are actually only two possible answers to prayer. So when he prayed, he said, either she's going to be healed or she's going to be healed. Either she's going to live as I pray for her, that she get better, or she's going to live. Either she's going to be with family or she's going to be with family. You see, the resurrection means that there is now only one way for your life, how it's going to end, and it's going to be with him. And so the Christian faith, this is what it says. It says, I don't know, and I can say this up here, I don't know why bad things happen. But it can't be that God doesn't love us because he takes the ultimate bad thing that happened to Jesus Christ and turns it into a good. And if he can do that in his life, he can do that in your life, through your life and death as well. That's what the Christian life is saying. That the nature of Jesus' victory, which is life through death, now means that through grace that we have life through death as well. Christians know that we will be taken care of in this life or the next. 
And he's orchestrating everything to bring you to him. That's what resurrection does. Last, last story. A friend of mine was sitting at his father's funeral this past year. Again, this whole year has felt some version of it like that. And as he's lowering the casket of his father's body in the ground, everybody's standing around kind of awkwardly, silently. They don't know what to do. He's feeling numb himself. Somebody asks him, says, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? You know what he said? He said this. He says, I'm looking forward to coming back to this spot one day. Though today it's a cemetery, though today it's the spot of death where my greatest losses lie, it will be the place of the greatest victory in the resurrection. I love that. I had never thought about that. Cemeteries right now might be the places, the most, the worst place in the world are cemeteries. But actually, in the resurrection, they're really the greatest places of victory. So don't simply look back to the days of, lore, of, of, you know, of yonder and say, oh, I wish for things to, like, to be like that. that. We know that's fool's gold. It was never as good as we thought it was. Look forward to the future resurrection, to the promises given to us then and live in light of those things now. And if you do that, everything that's a cemetery right now is really a victory. Actual cemeteries, you can go by and you can think there's loss there, but there's actually gain. Those are, that, that's going to be ground zero of the new life. It's, it's a, so don't you dare sit down and just do read your Bible and pray as if you're in a cemetery. No. It's light and joy and presence. That means no more sadness. That means no more death. That means the rotten will, will be made fresh. That means whatever is lost will be found. That means whatever is sick will be healed. That means whatever is hurt will be fixed. That means whatever is disfigured right now will be put back. That means there's no more cancer and no more shame and no more starvation and no more loneliness. The resurrection is the only answer that I know of that can really take seriously your pain. Other religions say, oh, that doesn't really matter. Or no religion says, well, this is all natural. It's okay. But Christianity says, no, it's real and it's wrong And the God of the universe does something about it in the person of Jesus. Let's live in light of that truth. Resurrection gives us confidence. This is 2 Corinthians 4 where it says, This slight momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Anne Steele's hymn puts it best. Amid the splendors of his throne, unchanging love appears. The names he purchased for his own, still on his heart he bears. For them reserve a radiant crown, bought with his dying blood, and worlds of light and joy unknown, forever near their God. Oh, the depth, oh, the rich depths of love divine, of bliss a boundless store. Dear Savior, let me call thee mine. I cannot wish for more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, It almost sounds like it's too good to be true. But as your witnessing women have revealed to us, help us to believe. Help us to reason. Help us to go through all the views, Father, that we know of and really weigh them. Find out, Father, what's real and what we can live in light of. And as we 
Do that work, Father. I pray that we will sit in this. Father, it's been a hard year. There's been a lot of loss. There's been many games, the, the gains, there's been some glimmers of good. Father, I, we pray for restoration. We pray for healing. We pray for our friends who are sick that are in hospitals now. We pray for those who are isolated. We pray for the needs of the world right now that will not, we'll do our part, Father. As this comes into our life, we will move up and out into the world as a church, living a salt and light. That's our, call, that's our calling, and we will do that. But we need you to enter into it too, Father. We know you go before us, and therefore we have confidence. If we're tired, give us refreshment. If we're lowly, bring us up. Father, if we're too high, bring us down so that we can be measured. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.